And I'm very pleased to say our guest today, Shell Holtz, is principal of Holtz Communications and Technology. He's an accredited business communicator. And if you've been to any IABC, Reagan Communications conference meetings, I think in the last few years, you, you might well have seen Shell present. I know I did a couple of times at IABC. He brings to his assignments many years of organizational communications experience, both in corporate and consulting environments. He's experienced in employee communications, PR, crisis communications, media relations, um, investor relations, and so on. And he integrates technology into communication strategies, and his expertise also includes strategic communications, change management, organizational culture, and so on. So he's not a strictly a pure play speechwriter like some of the guests we've had in the past, but I think in today's world, speechwriters need to be very cognizant of the technology that's out there. So we'll be talking to Shell about the ways in which social and digital media that have given rise to content marketing offer a variety of options to speechwriters to draw attention to the speech before, during, and after its delivery. And those, I think, are three important distinctions to make. So we, from everything from repurposing parts of the speech to taking advantage of trends in video and audio, you can get much more mileage from a speech today than you know, maybe 10 years ago when it was all in the auditorium or not. Hi, Shell. How are you doing this morning? Hello, Ian. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing well, thanks. Now, when did you first become aware of social media having an impact on public speaking? I know we were saying a minute ago that Twitter, it seems like it's been around forever, but it's actually only about 10 years old. Was oh, there a moment in time when things gelled for you? Well, because what I've been trying to do since I first became aware of, of digital media, uh, I, I first got online in the mid-1980s, is figure out how all of this applies to you know, various communication practices. Uh, and having been a presenter for a long time, I started figuring out that there were ways that you could incorporate all of this into speaking and presenting fairly early on. Social media to me is is sort of a point on a continuum. It's It's not a radical, drastic... You know, pivot from where we were already headed. Um, you know, when you know when the web was new, a lot of people wanted to create web pages, uh, and a lot did. Uh, the the problem was that getting server space was not cheap. Uh, learning how to create web content was not easy. There were no authoring tools available. You had to learn how to code in HTML. Um, and it was also a bit of a challenge using a command prompt to transfer content from your computer to a web server. So there were speakers at that time who were starting to develop websites. Um, and there were people who were starting to develop sites for sharing photos and you know, all kinds of things. What social media did was made it uh, free uh, or at least really, really cheap um, and easy in that you didn't need any technical skills um, in order to publish. So I think you know, social media was sort of an in inevitable um, introduction into the mix of you know, digital communication. Uh, but you know, early on, I saw the potential for speakers to be able to promote themselves, uh, to promote their ideas uh, through the web. And you know, social media just introduced a, a whole slew of, of new opportunities. But I, I don't think there was any 
know, flash of understanding that, wow, social media is going to be something that, that speakers can use, that was pretty much a, a given from my perspective. Yeah, I, you, you make a good point. I mean, we kind of take it for granted today that you can whip out your phone or invest in a, a higher-end camera if you want, record part of a speech, presentation, or workshop, put it up on YouTube. But YouTube, if it didn't exist, you'd have to do all kinds of, like you say, fancy HTML coding, invest in server space just to be able to stream video. And that was how it was in the early days. So it, it's almost like people are you know, inundated with free gifts here for you know, getting the word out. How rapidly, I mean, have we sort of seen, uh, it was obviously very rapid in the early days and, and people didn't even know what to make of Twitter. You probably met people who go, why would I even go on Twitter? You know, maybe some people still feel yeah, that. I but, still do. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's definitely, I mean, we know we have a president who loves it and we certainly have seen speakers, conferences, I know Reagan Communications do a great job of having a hashtag for each event they hold. But oh, are you seeing... A, 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 an increase in pace of, of potential and tools and possibilities here? I mean, I'm thinking about things like Periscope and all these other cool things. Well, yeah, absolutely. And you're right. In the early days, well, initially, social media was blogs. Uh, and social media was just blogs for a couple of years. Uh, and I remember when some other social media channels started rolling out, uh, people who were writing blogs were a little freaked out because people were now commenting uh, over on uh, you know, a, a social network or um, you know, some other channel instead of on the blog. And they were going, oh my God, they're not commenting on my blog. How can I keep track of this? Uh, so once we started to see some of the social networks that uh, predated Facebook uh, and and the, the introduction of content sharing channels like uh, YouTube and, and Flickr and, and some of the early introductions in, in that space, uh, the, the pace started to pick up pretty significantly. There are some people who argue that you know, the, the innovation has pretty much ended and we're just now seeing variations on the theme, but uh, I think there are some interesting developments that that people haven't latched onto yet um, you mentioned periscope uh, facebook live is is huge uh, youtube has a live streaming service uh, we just saw vimeo uh, acquire livestream.com uh, and is going uh, really big into live streaming i know there are social media pundits who when facebook and and twitter first introduced their live streams um, and meerkat really kicked that off, also introduced at South by Southwest as, as Twitter was, but um, you know, Twitter sort of ended up shutting them down and, and then Facebook got into the game. Um, but, but pundits initially shrugged it off saying, you know, the whole idea of, of the online space is that it's on demand. I go there when I want to. And a lot of those people now have their own live streaming shows. They have figured out there is huge value, um, because even though the, the live streams don't get the views that recorded videos get, the engagement is like 10, 20, 30 times greater. So, yeah. you know, we're also seeing this pivot toward messaging. Uh, I think there's huge opportunities for speakers using not just Snapchat, but Facebook Messenger. Uh, we're, we're seeing a real shift towards that 
uh, away from the social networks. It's happening slowly, but I think irrevocably. We've seen the downloads of messaging tools outpacing the downloads of social network apps. Uh, so that's something that I think we have to look at. Uh, you know, you, you, you look at something like Instagram, uh, which, of course, you know, it's owned by Facebook and, and has you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of users. Uh, but I think there are opportunities there for speakers uh, to not just get images of themselves speaking out or short video clips, but to engage with audiences and, and to uh, point them to content that's elsewhere. I, you know, we're also seeing the use of, of influencers on Instagram uh, and I don't see any reason why speakers can't do that. Fans of their presentations or, or fans of their work uh, helping spread the word and, and draw attention. So I think the pace of innovation right now is, is pretty rapid, and we're seeing that accelerated yet again with augmented virtual and mixed reality. Uh, augmented reality took a, a, a huge leap when Apple updated uh, the iOS to version 11 and included its AR uh, capabilities that uh, you know they they issued what they call the AR kit and some you know, tens of thousands of apps were available suddenly that that first day the upgrade happened and then just the other day I think it was literally the day before yesterday in in San Francisco Microsoft uh, announced the availability of mixed reality headsets being made by partners like Dell and um, some of the some of the other manufacturers, I think uh, Acer is one of them. Uh, I think Samsung is one of them. Uh, and on October 17th, they're going to roll out 20,000 mixed reality apps. And again, uh, opportunities here, if you can be a little creative, uh, I mean, how would you like to be a speaker hologram um, in front of anybody who's, who's wearing a headset uh, standing in the floor of their office or their living room? So uh, the pace of innovation continues to be rapid and uh, lots of opportunity for people who are willing to think outside the box a bit. Yeah, okay, so let's, let's play a little role play here. Say I'm Joe Speechwriter, right? And I'm not a speaker myself you know, in this role. And I've, I've heard of all this stuff. I am aware that, you know, as I said, the president tweets and there's lots of videos of, uh, of um, TED Talks on, on, um, on YouTube. And my, my, can, my, you know, the person who pays the bills, say it's a state governor or the CEO of a tech, of a company and they've employed me to get them some uh, you know speeches written but they also want me to amp it up with social media where do I start you know let's say I've got a, a blank slate here somebody's just been newly appointed as a as a CEO or a state governor and they've got me helping them with the communications what, what would you say to people like me where I can't boil the ocean I can't do 50 things at once what, what is there a kind of a path to take well, I think the first is sort of getting up to speed on what other speechwriters and speakers are doing with social media, which isn't terribly difficult to find out. Uh, you know, search engines and, and the appropriate search queries can help reveal some of that. Uh, but also, you know, if you're if you're going to get creative with this, um, it's 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 really a matter of. of almost redefining what it means to write a speech. Is it simply you know, I mean, I haven't written a speech for somebody else in, in good grief. Uh, I think the last time I did one was around 1992. Uh, but when I did, I, I, you know, looked at a lot of his previous speeches um, and did some 
work in the library. You remember those libraries? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Went out there and did some research on the topic. Uh, today, you know, when you're when you're writing a speech for somebody, you can go look at um, their previous speeches on YouTube, and you can actually get familiar with their uh, their speaking habits and their tics and 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 their quirks. So that you can work toward those, you, know, you can play toward those rather than say, oh, my God, look what he did with his hands when he said this. And you, you'd know this in advance and uh, y- you can write to that. Uh, you can also, you know, crowdsource. I mean, there's no reason that you can't go out and say, I'm writing a speech. It's about X. Um, I, what should I cover? I mean, I do this one. I'm going to have uh, a guest uh, on my interview podcast uh, where people are interested in either what this person does or, or they know who he is. And I said, what, what would you want me to ask this person? And I get great questions I never would have thought of. Uh, so you know, if you can build a following, and I think it starts there, you know, build a network, build uh, a community of people who uh, share the interest in the types of things that you're writing about so that you can engage with them and get some ideas and, and get some feedback on the approaches that you're thinking of taking. You know, you don't have to give the speech away before it's delivered, but you know, you can certainly tap into that resource the same way you used to go to the library uh, yeah. in order to get information. Yeah, those are, those are great ideas. In fact, in my own experience, I, there's a group you probably you, know, you may not because you're not a, a professional speechwriter, but there's a well-known group on LinkedIn called the Quintillion Speechwriters Group. I think it's maybe over a thousand members now. And I kind of did something disingenuous a few years ago where I said I'm, you know, I was actually looking to write an article for the Reagan newsletter on um, what can go wrong in a speech. And I, like you said, I crowdsourced it. Who's got examples? And, and it, it was it's wonderful. It's like uh, having a free um, mastermind group. Um, but let's focus in, say I'm still in this role of being, you know, the newbie, or I'm not maybe a new speechwriter, but I have a new client or a new principal. And, and I think it's very useful to, like we said in the introduction, I could talk to my principal about, you know, well, here's what we could do before you speak to build interest and get the buzz going. Here's what we can do during the time you're give, delivering the speech. And here's what we can do after you've delivered the speech. And obviously, if, if you could maybe address the first of those, what what tools and what methods would be rewarding for speechwriters to think about using before a speech is delivered? Well, yeah, I, let's talk first about publicizing the speech. Uh, as the speechwriter, you can pull, for example, tweetable lines uh, from the speech and uh, send those out. By the way, you know, when we get into talking about during the speech, uh, you can program when a tweet is going to appear. You can schedule it. And to have a 140-character, soon-to-be-280-character uh, quote from the speech uh, published on Twitter on the speaker's account at roughly the time he's speaking that line. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know you don't have to be sitting in the back of the room furiously tweeting in real time. <laughs> Uh, you can actually schedule it to go out with the appropriate hashtag. Uh, in advance, you should be working with the speaker to develop a hashtag uh, that you want to use for this talk. Uh, also, make sure that you know if it's at a conference or an event, if there's a hashtag that the conference organizer has planned to use at, at that event so that you can start to build that into some of your 
uh, ancillary activities as well. If you're promoting the fact that the speaker is going to be there, if you know that the speaker is going to be broadcast live, uh, to share the hashtag along with uh, the URL and, and other information. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can publicize the fact that the speech is upcoming, and the more that you can do visually these days, the better. This even includes uh, getting the media interested. Um, you know, if, if, if you pitch the media these days without an image or a video, the odds of them paying attention are dramatically reduced because their editors have told them that they need to uh, have images because they know that increases the click-through rate. Um, and interestingly, uh, a small percentage of the pitches that media relations people make to the press uh, have images or videos incorporated in the pitch, which yeah. just eludes me. But uh, if, if you can have an image of the speaker delivering a previous speech or working with the speechwriter, I mean, how many images have we seen of, of, of U.S. presidents with their speechwriters, um, you know, in their shirt sleeves, rolled up and, and uh, going over a speech or working on it? Um, you can send out even memes, you know, uh, I, I think they're dismissed a little too readily by a lot of uh, professionals. Uh, but let's face it, they get traction. Um, memes, what we're talking about here is, is the image with the big block letters above it and, and below it. Um, these are these go viral at a rate that um, is, is, is far greater than anything else. And one of the reasons for that is that you can absorb it in a couple of seconds. Uh, when you're standing in the checkout line of the grocery store thumbing through um, Instagram on your phone or Facebook on your phone and, and that meme shows up, you, you can stop and absorb it without having to take five minutes to you know, grasp what, what it's talking about or to, to read or to watch a video. Uh, yeah. So, you know, anything that's image-based, uh, a, a couple of key words and a hashtag uh, can really draw interest, create interest in, in the upcoming talk. Um, yeah, it really is important to have, to have that hashtag. Uh, you know, also if if you know anything about the audience, you can get in, in, insights into the audience. It, it, it makes it a lot easier to craft the content that you're distributing in order to promote the speech based on their interests and what they're hoping to get out of it, as opposed to you know what you're planning to deliver to them. In other words, more or less frame what you're talking about based on, on who they are. Uh, right. So. Uh, one little alarm bell went off, uh, and, and I think it's uh, probably something a couple of other people on the call might be able to uh, uh, relate to is, I know the president and his speechwriter, you know, John Favreau and, and Obama were seen in public, but it's my experience, I think many speechwriters in the corporate world and so on, the last thing you could possibly do is let everybody know that, you know, the CEO actually has a speechwriter because people think they walk on water and they do all this themselves. And we can actually right. sometimes get into trouble. So it was a good idea, but I think... Thinks, at least the CEO thinks that's what people think. Uh, yeah, but no, so I, I was kind of, really thinking more for those of, who are working in, in government where... In it's government, expected. right. Uh, right. But, you know, I mean, realistically, and I'm not suggesting that we act on this, but realistically, people, I mean, you know, one of the issues that came up in the early days of social media when we were mostly focused on blogs was the idea of ghost blogging, uh, oh, yeah. which I opposed because blogging was all about authenticity. 
and a CEO who was claiming to write this and got outed that somebody else was doing it for him would lose credibility and trust. And the the blowback I got from that was people saying, everybody knows the CEO doesn't write his own speech or his own letters for the annual report. So, you know, well, well, CEOs may think that people think they're doing this themselves. I think most people know they're not. Right. But I I loved your ideas. In fact, just to put a bow on it, that when you were talking about crowdsourcing content, I mean, that's before the speech. So that's part of the use of social media for a speechwriter that begins when they first get the assignment. And then, like you listed, publicize the speech, find out the hashtag for the event. Um, I mean, one idea I've seen that's useful, and it wouldn't work for all speakers, but just like, you know, when you're watching television at night, Leslie Stahl come on and say, this Sunday on 60 Minutes, we'll be talking about blah, 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 and, and, you know, tune in and watch it. You could maybe do a little video of a speaker saying, I'm looking forward to going to, uh, you know, San Antonio next month, where I'll be talking about the, the breakthroughs we've seen in this topic. And, yeah, exactly. And- you, can, you can also go out to your community and say, here are some assets that I have developed for the speech I'm delivering. I'd be grateful if you would share these. Uh, which is not uncommon for, I mean, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be speaking at a conference, I usually let people know that I'm going to be there. Um, in a lot of instances, the organizers of conferences ask the speakers to promote the conference itself, and that's another opportunity to get the word out about what you're going to be talking about. And, and during the actual crafting of the speech itself, um, and, you know, this is, I think, the difference between the kind of presentation I do and the kind of writing that, people on the call do. Um, I just talk. I don't read a speech or memorize anything word for word. But if you're actually writing a speech, um, consider some of the key points that you really want to stand out fitting in 140 characters so that they are tweetable. Um, You know, making complete sentences tweetable uh, that represent the, the, the major point that you want to make uh, will inspire more people to want to share that rather than paraphrase it. You know, the other thing is that if your speaker is using slides, um, you know, you can either have on the screen that key point that he's reading uh, already uh, you know, already written so that it's easy for people to, to share that word for word, uh, or you can ask people to follow on Twitter in real time, and you can have created uh, those scheduled tweets that go out, and, and then all people have to do is retweet it. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's move on to the, if it's the big day now, the audience are in the auditorium, and the lights are down, and they introduce the speaker. Where do you see the use of social media during a speech? And you've already mentioned that one of the things you can do is schedule tweets to go out at, you know, 10 minutes into the talk, approximately when the speaker's going to mention something, a tweet goes out. Uh, reality but what other things would be of interest well you know, one of the things that speakers have been using for a long time um i i remember seeing one of these at a conference had to be 12 or 13 years ago already uh is is the use of a back channel um in, in the days when i saw um Oh, I can't. I think of his name. He was one of the co-authors of uh, the Clue Train Manifesto. Uh, but um, 
the back channel was on an uh, internet relay chat, IRC. These days it can be on Twitter. Yeah, so, so the back channel can be used for a number of things. I have been at conferences where literally on the screen behind the speaker you can see the tweets that use the hashtag. Um, I'm, I'm not, as a speaker, particularly wild about that. I'm not planning right. on changing what I am talking about in mid-course based on what people are saying. But on the other hand, if you're asking for questions and they can be pulled up at a point in the talk uh, where you can break from the text and say, okay, I'm going to address questions about the first of my three points now. Uh, the other thing, if you're being live streamed, and that's happening in more and more cases, I know Reagan certainly does it. You were talking about Reagan Communications, uh, inviting people who weren't in the room live. People who are in the room live can raise their hands and, and go to the microphone. Um, people who are watching remotely would have the opportunity to use Twitter or use Facebook Live or, or what have you uh, to ask their questions and, and be included, making them more interactive, uh, making them feel more like they're part of the talk. So you know, the, the back channel, um, in addition to the fact that people can share their thoughts in real time with each other about what the speaker is talking about, which is great when you're done, if you can get into that, get that feedback uh, and keep it in your back pocket for you know, future speeches that you're going to be delivering. So, you know, the back channel um, is important. You know, one thing that I like seeing at the beginning of a speech, and I'm, I'm seeing this more and more now, and it's kind of the opposite of what I saw in the early days, uh, particularly the early days of Twitter, is speakers asking people to get their phones out. Um, I, I have a colleague who, you know, when she got up to speak, uh, she would say, please don't tweet this. This is uh, my intellectual property, and I've crafted it for you in this audience, and I'd rather you not share it. I don't hear anybody do that anymore. Uh, but to ask people to get their phones out, ask them to tweet, tell them at the beginning of the talk what the hashtag is for the talk, and um, even ask them to take pictures and, and, and to share them, um, invite people you know, to participate through sharing what, what interests them or what excites them, uh, I, I, I think you know, it extends the value of the speech beyond the people in the room and the people who may be just watching on a live stream. An another thing I've seen, uh, and in fact that I've used, uh, that I, I like having built into talks, I mean, it has to be the right kind. You, you wouldn't want this on a major policy address, for example. But, um, you know, the first time I saw it was at a, a conference at General Motors headquarters, and it was um, an executive from General Motors, um, and she was talking and doing a great job, and all of a sudden she said, now what I want you to do is uh, answer this poll, and up on the screen came poll questions, and uh, a, a, a number to text your answer to. And, you know, people pulled out their phones and started texting their answer, and you could see the bars on the graph grow in real time as people submitted their answers. There's a number of tools that, that do this. The one that I was using is, is called Poll Everywhere, but there are you know, probably 20 competitors to this. Um, and if you want people to get engaged and not start drifting, you know, involve them this way. Uh, there, there are a number of things that you can do with these software packages and in little intermittent breaks in, in the speech to get audience feedback. And very often you'll know what the feedback's going to be and it can help 
you know, amplify uh, or reinforce your point. So, you know, that's yeah. something I've, I've, I've really enjoyed seeing and I've enjoyed doing in talks. Well, that's, those are, I mean, I, I've, I've been at conferences now pretty often in the, in the corporate world I'm in. Uh, even when we have full-day conferences, we'll poll a number of audience members, uh, collect the polls, and that'll be part of the value of them attending. Can you, I, I mean, I know in theory about live streaming, but is there like any best practices here? I mean, the very simple way is, right, you hold up your own phone and you use Periscope, which is through Twitter, as I understand it, and then all these little hearts start appearing on the screen as people like it. But I imagine if you're in a major auditorium, have you seen people like more on a professional level? Is it possible to have a video camera set up at the back that you connect to the PC and then live stream? Or Yeah, a absolutely. And there are even tools that allow you to split that stream so that it's going to Twitter, so that it's going to YouTube, so it's going to Facebook Live. Uh, Facebook Live is, is the king of all of uh, the live streaming right now. Um, it, especially when it comes to live events, as as opposed, I mean, you know, there's a service called Twitch that live streams your video gameplay, which is a whole different thing. Uh, but you know, when it, when it comes to live events uh, or people just wanting to sound off and and talk about what they have on their mind, uh, or or people who have regular shows, um, Facebook Live is 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 the dominant platform for all of this. And yeah, I mean, there's plenty of resources around and and uh we also have an increasing number of uh av services people who know how to do this to get a professional quality live stream onto these channels um and if you're going to be live streaming for goodness sake uh in advance of the talk make sure that people know that you're going to be live streaming and and know where they're going to be able to find it so uh people can get online and be ready for it rather than you find out later that, oh, I can watch the recording, but now I can't ask a question or participate in the conversation. That's excellent. I mean, and again, it's kind of mind-blowing because think about it, it wasn't only, you know, going back more than 10 years ago, which was before the, you know, well into the 21st century, 2007, um, you would have had to have, it was only, you know, television stations that pretty much could live stream, you know, if it was a uh, presidential inauguration, they would live stream it to the world and people would watch, you know, state events or like they watch sports or whatever. But today, like everybody is a television station in a sense. And, and in that regard, you know, one thing to consider is that Facebook is actually paying publishers to produce content on Facebook Live. So publishers are looking for things to live stream in order to fulfill the obligation based on the money that they're getting from Facebook. So if you can pitch the fact that um, your speech is going to be live streamed to appropriate media outlets, you may get a lot of additional views from the readers of, or, or viewers of that publication. Um, yeah. I've read, I've read one uh, public relations agency's uh, blog post saying that they're having tremendous success pitching Facebook Live sessions to media outlets, so yeah, something else to keep in mind. Okay. Well, let's move on. I'm, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact we've been speaking for about half an hour, and I, I did want to open it up to the rest of the people on the line, but let's move into the after the event phase. Um, 
what, what's your recommendations for sort of the low-hanging fruit here to get the most well, the low, out of yeah, the, the low-hanging fruit, the, the no-brainer kind of stuff is, is if there was a PowerPoint deck for this, uh, share it on SlideShare. Uh, that's one of the things that it's for. Um, and, you know, the, the, the key word to keep in mind after the event is repurposing. Um, you've got video, you've got words, you've got photos, uh, you've got images that may have been built into a, a, a presentation deck. Um, and how can you use all of this? Um, I, I used to have a, a, a podcast feed on my podcast network called Speakers and Speeches, and this was anybody who recorded a good speech and had permission to use it, we would post it if it was relevant to the theme of the podcast, which was you know, PR and corporate communications and, and marketing. Um, if, if you write a lot of speeches, why wouldn't you put the audio up, especially if you have multiple speakers that you write these for, and, and make those speeches available on your podcast? Say, here is the delivery of my work by various clients or various people in my organization. Uh, so, you know, I mean, Podcasting Star is absolutely on the rise these days. Yeah. But, you know, short video clips, um, and especially if you're going to share these on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, uh, short video clips that work with the audio off, because that's the default for a lot of these. Also, that are formatted for either the square or the uh, vertical video format, where you caption them. Uh, so that people don't need to turn the audio up when they're in a room full of other people and they can still see the speaker speaking and see your words in the caption for 30 seconds, uh, a minute and a half, whatever it might be. So repurposing the video, repurposing the audio, uh, getting those, you know, again, you wrote some brilliant words, and if you can fit them onto an image uh, that gets shared as a meme or gets shared... Uh, as an, an Instagram image, those can really go a long way toward um, you know, spreading the talk you did after the talk is over. Uh, okay. Also, okay, if, well, if the speaker had a leave behind, uh, which a lot of speakers do, um, you know, a one-pager or a short brochure, a PDF version of that or some other kind of version of that, making that available online also um, extends the value of that leave behind uh, beyond the actual event. Well, this is great. And I, I think at this point, um, you know, I, I've got more questions I can ask, but I'd really like to hear from the people on the line. In fact, just, we've, we've got seven people on the line. So any of you, I know, I know Brad Whitworth was an early dial-in and he knows Shell pretty well. So any comments on what you've heard, any suggestions of things that have worked for you or things that you can have a dialogue with Shell about. Uh, if you can one at a time, use star six to unmute yourself and then go star six back after you've asked your question so it's quiet. So go ahead, uh, anybody out there? So this is Brad. Let me just pose one question, quandary, see if you have any suggestions, Shell, because um, you know, I think a lot of times when you're writing for a corporate person or a government person and you are you know, lucky to get them to focus way in advance or, God forbid, to practice a presentation, <laughs> it seems to me that if we start adding some technology capabilities above and beyond what they're used to doing, that it probably requires a willingness to practice, a willingness to get better at this, um, you know, do you have any suggestions on sort of the easy way to incorporate this or to encourage people to get comfortable with some of these things that may not be a, a norm for that crowd? 
Well, yeah, my favorite answer to that is to show them what the people they admire or what their competitors are exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that, that often works. If, if, if that's what I have to compete against, I'm going to do what I have to do in order to you know, come off better than that. Um, you know, so, uh, uh, some stories can often uh, help as well. Um, you know, my, my first corporate job was with, Ar- with Arco, and uh, this was in the, the early 70s and, and uh, the late 70s and early 80s. Brad, that's where I was working when we met, when you were at HP. Um, and they, we had a speechwriter there. His name was Walter Coyne, and uh, Walter had been a speechwriter for Lyndon Johnson. And uh, at drinks one evening after uh, work, uh, Walter was telling us a story. He said, you know, Lyndon Johnson had different speechwriters for different major subject areas, but he would also berate his speechwriters uh in public when he didn't like what they had written, but he rarely even read the speech before he was supposed to deliver it. Um, you know, he would sit down with the speechwriter and say, this is what I want to come across, and then the speech would be handed to him. This is why if you watch Lyndon Johnson deliver speeches, he's always looking down at the text. Um, he, he, he really hadn't practiced it. Um, and he had raked his education speechwriter over the coals in front of the entire speechwriting team. A couple days later, he was in Houston, his hometown, delivering uh, a a major education policy address to the National Education Association. And you'll pardon my language. This is a verbatim uh, quote that Walter shared. He, He said Lyndon Johnson was reading about how important education was, and, and, and now I'm going to lay out the four major planks of my education policy, and he turned the page, and, and on the page it said, fuck you, Lyndon, I quit. Um, so, you know, if you want to avoid that sort of thing, um, practice. So, you know, sharing stories like that can also you know, wake them up to the importance of preparation. This is Marianne. I'm a speech writer and presentation skills coach in San Francisco. And for me, it's one, one unit. You're a speech writer and you're a presentation coach. You, you have to work with them and practice them about real delivery. It's just we one work on, egg. We, we work with CEOs on this for media training all the time. Right? Exactly. And, and I think if you can impress upon them that, that they're part and parcel of the same thing uh, might be a little easier. I, I, you know, I know that media training is, is more thinking on your feet and, and knowing how to talk in sound bites and get your point well, across. Well, that's media training, but I, right. I, you know, that's one language. I prefer speech writing slash presentation skills training. Right, exactly. So it and becomes I, I one unit in their brain. Right. It, that's exactly the point. If you can make them see this as all part of the same package, um, then it might be a little easier because a lot of executives understand the value of media training. That's great. Um, any follow-up from anybody or anybody have a, a different topic they'd like to have a conversation with Shell about? Go ahead. Well, I think you raised, this is Marianne again in San Francisco, uh, you raised the issue of how often an executive won't read it before he goes on. And, you know, we've all had that happen. So I just urge all of us to pre-tune them, you know, to get buy-in from their handlers, to get everyone talking to the exec about it, it has to, yeah, you have to give it some juice beforehand. Yeah, I, ha- I had a, a president that I worked for who would not read a prepared speech. He said, I'm much better 
spontaneous and off the cuff. And, oh, my God, some of the things he said that I had to deal with afterwards. Exactly. Well, I always uh, position it as a mix that, you know, I'm not asking you to read verbatim. I'm asking you to read the beginning so you start strong and here's some transition points you should know and you should definitely know how to close, but write some bullet points in between so they have freedom. So I like the hybrid approach. Right. And, you know, also if they're working with uh, presentation decks, uh, you know, learning how to speak to a presentation. Yes, yes. Without looking at the deck. Right. That's a particular skill. Um, It is. Well, Shell, I I know we talked earlier about, um, you know, you mentioned um, live streaming and how you can get the AV crew in the uh, auditorium to help you and their tools that will stream it out. But I'm cognizant of the fact that, you know, the gold standard on YouTube for speeches, well, maybe not the gold standard, but it's one everybody seems to refer to are these uh, TEDx and TED Talks. And, you know, they're good because they're only 15 to 18 minutes long. Some of them get millions of views, literally, right? And, um, but I wonder, I mean, I've never been, have you ever been to a TED or TEDx? You know, I haven't, but I've probably watched 200 TED Talks, uh, and I know people who have delivered TED Talks, and if there's one thing I know about people who go present it at at TED uh, is is that they rehearse the hell out of their talks. Yeah. Um, They know how perfect they have to be. Uh, Because of the long life that it has, the legs that it has. Right. Um, but also, you know, every TED Talk is being compared to every other TED Talk and, mm-hmm. and especially being compared to the most successful talk, yeah. uh, which are very carefully rehearsed and, you know, in perfect sync with the few slides that they're using. And, um, yeah, th- th- that is kind of a gold standard because of that. Well, I, w- I was wondering about the AV. I mean, I know Brad and I, we've been at Cisco and HP and companies like that where there is a huge budget and Cisco have a, a fully-fledged digital television studio and they can put cameras in auditoriums to make John Chambers and his merry men look just, you know, as good as anybody on the, on the evening news. But it, it would seem that that's one thing that not necessarily a speechwriter needs to become, you know, a, a video expert, but there has to be, if, if, if you want to get the maximum out of a speech, if it's an important event, the speechwriter needs to sort of in a way, be the producer, right, who knows what's, what, what kind of investments would be needed. They need to know that. And, you know, if you're going to get this perfect, if this good quality video needs to be produced, you can't just do it with Joe from the shipping room and, and his, on his mother's camera, but you need to, you know, invest. Is that something you've seen? I mean, I don't know how Reagan and so on do it, but... Well, you know, Reagan has an AV company that they work with, um, mm-hmm. but I think there are... Uh, yeah, you, you, you have to. You should know in advance, by the way, if there are going to be um, cameras in the room and and uh, how sophisticated the setup is. Uh, I once did a talk with uh, my co-author of of my last book. We wanted some video to be able to promote the book, and we hired a company to come in and do a three camera shoot and then edited that. But these days, you know, there's also technology that allows you to do that sort of thing. Uh, with web cameras uh, where you can do live switching uh, between cameras. Mm-hmm. There's also this thing called the Mevo, um, which allows you to get multiple types of shots and to switch bef- between them with one 
camera and you use your phone to control it. Uh, so, you know, you could, you could literally shoot yourself uh, with a Mevo and, or, or, or the person that's delivering the talk and come up with something that's, you know, better than what you used to get with, you know, just a, a, a regular video camera with a cartridge in it or a, a memory card in it. Um, the technology for this sort of thing is is advancing considerably. In fact, I just got um, the Ricoh Theta S, and there's one of these that, that records in 4K for a little bit more money that will uh, produce this in VR, in immersive video, 360 degree. So people uh-huh. can look at the speaker and then, you know, drag with a mouse or with their finger or just turn around if they're watching it wearing a, a, a headset to see the audience. So you know, I, I, there are a lot of options these days and, and they're getting cheaper and cheaper. I mean, the Mevo, I think, is $350. This um, little uh, VR camera that I got was about $399. Uh, so, yeah. Would you yeah, spell Mevo? M-E-V-O. And it's a switching something that you put use your cell phone to switch multiple cameras with. Is that what you said? Well, it's a, it's actually a single camera. Hmm. Um, I'll, I'll pull it up here, and it's a uh, it, 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 their, their uh, tagline is uh, a, a studio in in your pocket. Uh, but um, let's see, uh, makes it oh, easier than ever to capture excellent video and sound at your events um so you know yeah. like i said you could you can zoom in you can switch to uh, a different angle uh, because it's got a, a it's not fisheye but it's 150 degree uh so you know you can take it from a couple of different angles with one camera and, and it's all controlled from the phone so yeah i see it i'm looking online it's kind of like the size of a little gopro or something it's uh little fisheye thing that uh, right excellent. It, well, but it's, it's it's specifically for live streaming excellent well that i know i wasn't aware of that one of my final questions was going to be what do you see in your crystal ball but i think having i mean i don't know if anybody else was aware of it but that for 350 dollars is a minimal investment uh, if it does what it promises it could be an amazing uh, and i think all of these things you've told us about i'm thinking here if, if there's people on the line who are freelancers, you know, it's one thing to make your money charging 10 cents a word, or I mean, people don't, but charging 10 or $12,000 for a major speech for a top speaker like an executive or a politician. But it's another thing to then supplement that by saying, you know, like, like, the, like the PR companies do, we can do this, but if you buy that and that and that, we can also, you know, before, during and after the event, we can supplement our services with our yeah, certainly if, if if you're a freelance speechwriter the ability to say that uh, not only can I write the speech but I can make sure that it has tweetable comments I can schedule those tweets to uh, be tweeted at the time you're saying them uh, I can live stream the event so it, it is seen by more people than in the audience uh, mm-hmm. you know yeah especially if these are smaller events you know i've i've worked with a lot of uh, of ceos who go speak at chambers of commerce for example where they don't have the budget and and aren't thinking of live streaming uh, but there's they, they would certainly be amenable to the speaker doing these things uh, on on his or her end this is really great um any, any more feedback from the people on the line any comments any anything that's worked for you guys that you can share 
Hi, I, I had a question, um, and I must apologize. There's a portion of the call that I had to drop out of. So, that, who's speaking? Can this, you say? this is May. Oh, hi. Um, hi. Um, yeah, I had a question about perhaps a favorite campaign, like a maybe campaign is not the right word, but but one of your favorite client examples of. Um, tying the social media to a particular uh, speech or their contents and the purpose? You know, I mean, what I, I have done in, in my presentations, and again, these are, um, I'm just talking with, with, because I talk about digital and social media a lot, there's a visual, so I, 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 I admire people who, who talk without slides, but I'm talking about something that people need to picture. So <laughs> I use a lot of slides. Um, but getting real-time feedback, I think, is, is one of the things that, that works the best for me. Um, I don't develop a lot of presentations for other people in my consulting practice. I mainly am, am doing these myself, and, and uh, that, that's been my favorite thing. Also, by the way, uh, I've, I, I just did this recently. I was uh, delivering a talk at the uh, Association for Women in Communications at their annual conference a couple of weeks ago, um, and I did a selfie. with. I just you know, turned around and said, everybody smile. Uh, I also just did a presentation at um, a uh, conference board seminar on employee advocacy, and um, in addition to my presentation, I, I moderated a panel and I did a 360 degree shot of the of the panel, which you know because people you know are still kind of getting accustomed to seeing these, you go out and promote those, which uh, the person from the conference board did, and suddenly people are interested in conference board panels. So, yeah, again, I think visuals are something to keep in mind um, because visuals are, you know, driving a lot of traffic and a lot of engagement. Shell, what do you mean by conference board panels? Uh, the conference board is a organization, um, and this was a panel discussion at a seminar. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, in my own case, I, like Shell, you said you've watched many dozens of uh, of. Um, um, TEDx and TED Talks on YouTube, and uh, I think you know there's some famous ones where Bill Gates released mosquitoes into the room when he was talking about you know mosquito-borne illnesses, not that they had any diseases in them, the ones he released. And, and uh, the Jamie Oliver, the British chef, came in with a uh, he was talking about the the bad effects of diet, sugar-rich diet, and he had a wheelbarrow filled with sugar that he unloaded on the stage. Uh, one of the um, ones that I loved was a, t a woman talking about strokes. Uh, she was, a, I think, a, an MD and uh, a stroke expert, and she had a stroke herself. And said she had a live brain. Yeah, she had a brain in the room. She had it wheeled out on a cart. Get Julia uh, Bolt. That's the one. Yep. Yeah, and and I mean, when you talk about visuals, those are. It's not just a talking head. No it's a prop. Telling they are, but it's a prop and. In my own background, um, I've worked at uh, my first speech writing uh, for any CEO was at Scott McNeely at Sun Microsystems. Those of you in the tech, tech industry might know he was he's a shadow of his former self in the sense that Sun isn't around anymore. But in his day, he would not balk at, at nothing would phase him. So, you know, he went to a Linux conference 
and came on stage in a penguin suit. Penguin was the icon for Linux. Um, and he was always looking for what we call stunts. So as well as the speech, we had to create the stunt. And uh, not all speakers are going to want to do that, but it can be as simple as you know holding up a lifting the top. I mean, Bill Gates isn't a huge extrovert, but he lifted the top off this container filled with mosquitoes and let them fly around. And little things like that play so well into what you've been talking about, Shell. So it's not just. Yeah, I, mean, it, I, words, I did a present. I did a presentation at the IABC World Conference the year that Meerkat was introduced and. I was talking about live streaming when it wasn't yet a big thing, uh, and I live streamed the Q&A at the end of the session so that people could see how it worked. I think, you know, demonstration, you know, show me rather than tell me is, is, is pretty powerful, and if you can build that into a speech, um, not only is it visual for the people in the room, but oh my God, how do you leverage that with the uh, video clips and images afterwards? Um, gets a lot of attention. Fantastic, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't want to cut it off, but you know we can go on to till one o'clock. But uh, we've been on almost an hour. Any any other comments from people? Any questions or things to share with Shell? Uh, this is Marianne again in San Francisco. I came in late. Shell, where are you based? I'm in the San Francisco East Bay. I'm in Concord. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you know, I had uh, one thing that I neglected to mention is uh, again, if there is a visual, uh, to put your um, Twitter handle on the title slide uh, so that people know who to reference when they're tweeting about you. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, after the, this event's over, I'm actually going to leave town for a few days. But when I get back, I'll I'll post the edited highlights of this, if you like, because uh, usually a one-hour recordings a little too long for people to digest um, to the meetup group for the Silicon Valley speechwriters. Uh, there'll be a link on it there. And I encourage anybody, if you've got examples, favorite YouTube uh, things that illustrate, uh, you know, we've got a, a, an area on the meetup under this speech, under this conference, or sorry, under this meeting, Shell's conversation with Shell, you can add things. And I would like to see people using that as kind of a a place to leave your thoughts and ideas and suggestions. And I want to thank Shell for spending an hour with us this morning. And Shell, have you got any final thoughts here? It, it, I mean, where do you, where, if you had to summarize this, is there, is there a sort of a call to action? Well, I think if I was going to leave all of you with anything, it's don't use social media for its own sake. We see way too much of that where it's you know, the shiny object and we're going to do something just because we can. Uh, use it because it actually is going to help amplify your message or promote the talk or generate great conversation or great questions. Um, you know, be strategic about this. I see way too much of this being used uh, inappropriately just because the technology is available. What, what do you mean, Shell? Give me an example of inappropriate. Well, inappropriate may not be the right word, but not strategic. I mean, you know, uh, would I send out a meme just because I can if it's not designed to get people to spread a, 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 a key point? And, you know, let me find a good line from my speech and I'll build that into a meme as opposed to one that actually works in that format. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, Thank you, everybody, for joining, um, and uh, 
I'm looking for suggestions. Uh, it was great. Uh, in fact, um, David Murray, who hosts the Speechwriters uh, Association, uh, suggested Shell. And, uh, but I'm looking for other suggestions. We can, we can hold as many of these meetings as we want. They don't cost anything. Uh, discussions about speechwriting. So think about people you can think of, or if anybody on the call would like to be you know, the speaker, so to speak, sharing your expertise. And uh, with that, I think we'll bring it to a close. So thanks again, Shell, and everybody have a great day.